Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Before we turn to your essential political analysis for this week, I want to tell you about our wonderful partners at The Resident, where all rooms are designed to combine pure comfort with quintessential British style and design. Whether you're escaping to London for a romantic break or visiting the city with friends and family, there's no better place to stay in the heart of the neighbourhood without The Resident, you might not get to experience London and... Without The Resident, we wouldn't be here on Whitehall Sources. Whitehall Sources, your essential, essential politics podcast, is brought to you in association with The Resident. Welcome to Whitehall Sources. I'm Callum McDonald. We're recording on Wednesday, the 28th of February. Thank you very much for joining us. Great to have you there on what has already been a busy week in politics. We're here to take you behind the scenes with those who have lived it, with those who have breathed it, with those who have advised on various strategies to understand what is going on and to try to piece together what might happen next. As always, we've got Kirsty Buchanan, former special advisor to Theresa May. Hello, Kirsty. Good morning to you. Great to have you there. And also joining us on Whitehall Sources this week, Claire. Ainsley, who's now at the Progressive Policy Institute, but Claire was formerly Director of Policy to Sir Keir Starmer. Uh, Claire, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me. Great to have you there. Thank you very much for joining us. And welcome to your insider conversation on politics and all that is going on. Uh, Right, I'm going to take this from uh, Politico's Playbook morning email this morning. Rishi Sunak and Labour leader Keir Starmer facing Prime Minister's questions today after what has already been a torrid week of extremes. Uh, MPs, I think the underpinning thing in all of this is MPs worried about their safety. This was the message we got from Sir Lindsay Hoyle, the Speaker of the House of Commons, last week, which led to his, well, 
well, breaking precedent, breaking protocol, changing the rules, basically, in order that the uh, motion and votes on Gaza became, in his view, more inclusive, uh, including of the Labour Party's uh, amendment. So that really, a week ago, is perhaps where all of this starts. But since then, loads has happened. We've had uh, Lee Anderson suspended from the Conservative whip. Uh, He sits as an MP after his comments about Sadiq Khan, suggesting that uh, his Islamist mates uh, had control over him. That's what Lee Anderson had to say. We're awaiting a by-election coming up tomorrow in Rochdale, uh, which has also been sort of bubbling away over the last few weeks as well. And uh, will Sir Lindsay Hoyle be able to calm tensions? 86 MPs now want him to quit. Kirsty, this has been, since we last spoke a week ago, So much has happened, and it feels like they have been the sort of real extreme examples of difficulty among and within political parties to sort of maintain any sense of control and forward movement on messaging. It's been a really chaotic week. Yeah, I mean, you know, I think over the last six years or so, we've all got used to saying this is an unprecedented week in politics. You know, I've never seen anything like it. I think I can't remember a more miserable seven days uh, in politics than these um, and a more creeping sense of what is happening in Parliament and on the streets is, is you know, uh, becoming a very dangerous sort of tipping point in terms of division. Um, you know, and uh, so we see sort of Lee Anderson stoking division. I mean, on brand for Lee Anderson, fine. But what is far more problematic about that is, you know, the Conservative front bench being uh, being told to go out and tiptoe around uh, Lee Anderson's comments because uh, Rishi Sunak is trying to hold his party together. We've seen uh, uh, the Palestine Solidarity Campaign. Uh, project an anti-Semitic slogan onto the Houses of Parliament and Ben Jamal, who leads the PSC, saying in terms, you know, we want so many people uh, to lobby parliamentarians that they have to lock the doors. Uh, And we've seen the Speaker of the House having to effectively acknowledge that what is happening on the streets now poses a very real threat to parliamentarians. It all feels... Very chilling, very depressing, and uh, a very long way away from uh, the late Joe Cox exhortation that there is more in common than divides us. I, I, I you know, I am seriously depressed by by recent events. Yeah, Claire, I'm, I'm seeing you nodding, and I should just add that today's front pages, uh, the Telegraph, MPs getting millions to spend on their own security. That's an announcement from the Home Office overnight. Uh, the front of the or the top of the Times online right now, the Home Secretary telling pro-Palestinian demonstrators to stop their regular Gaza process because they have quote made their point, and they're putting huge pressure on policing. Do you agree? Do you feel a bit depressed, actually, by all that's going on over this last week? Yeah, I feel concerned. And I was pleased to see the government's announcement this morning. I think they're doing the right thing by taking MPs' security really, really seriously. Um, MPs, unfortunately, have always been public targets. I just uh, remembered the very, a very, very long time ago, before there was social media and so on, I did a summer in an MP's office and he would receive phone calls and really nasty letters in the office would sort of file them. 
And so there's always been, MPs have always been public figures that have attracted a extreme side. But I think what has changed is the proximity and the volume and obviously social media and so on and so forth. Um, and actually, it feels to me that the general tone and tenor of debate is as divisive as it was in the run up to the Brexit referendum. And I don't say that lightly, but it was in that atmosphere that it was uh, Joe Cox was murdered. And I, uh, like Kirsty, think it is a really low point. I think there have to be this. I think today should be the start of solutions coming forward. Clearly, we have to deal with MPs' personal security. But I think there's something about the tone and tenor of debate that I found um, completely depressing working on the inside when most of us are people who want solutions to genuine problems that people face. And Westminster, unfortunately, is very, very adversarial and doesn't align uh, to that way of doing things. So I think there is time for a bit of a wider debate once we deal with the immediate security issues. I wonder then how we get to that point, because the, the messaging, as Kirsty was mentioning, has been quite difficult this week. The, the sort of government ministers on the round have been kind of digging in on what Lee Anderson said was wrong, and that's about as far as they will go. And I'm just trying to pin down is, if, if that is appropriate or if that in some way is fueling it too, because surely there's a, you know, there's not just a political thing to this, but there is a way out in terms of the messaging by, by calling him out, by criticising him and saying, that's it, he's gone, and trying to move past it. But it's almost clear, like, by saying, all, by only going so far as to say what he said was wrong, it keeps the story going and it keeps the comments in the headlines. That's, that's problematic too. It's problematic and I think there's two aspects. I think one is the contrast of the moral clarity, and obviously I work for Starmer, so I am, you know, I'm unashamedly supportive of him. But there was a total moral clarity, whether we were down in the polls or up in the polls, he was very clear if there were comments that were made by any member of the Parliamentary Labour Party that he felt were uh, crossing a line, he was very clear about how he wanted those dealt with. And I think we haven't seen that from those Conservative spokespeople. And that is a problem. It's a problem in politics more, more generally. I also think it's a problem because what does it say about where the Conservative Party are trying to lean into now? My concern is that they have taken a strategic decision, that they are trying to recapture some of those reform-type uh, votes and therefore it puts you in a precarious place if you're worried about the backlash that might come and that they're not putting themselves in the centre. Now, purely on electoral politics terms, that's good news for Labour because it means that the centre ground is vacated. But I think it's bad news for politics overall if it doesn't give them that moral clarity when the questions come. Kirsty, there is a suggestion that Lee Anderson has has met with uh, the Reform UK leader Richard Tice on Sunday at the Holiday Inn off Junction 28 of the M1. Um, so as salubrious as that sounds, uh, <laughs> I just I wonder if that's going to where that's going to lead. But it sort of got me thinking over the course of the weekend. I was trying to think about the fact that Lee Anderson was brought in as a deputy chairman of the Conservative Party, uh, a role he um, he resigned from so he could rebel over the Rwanda vote. But the fact he was brought in and, and and the idea was he would say these things, you know, he would he would sort of kick things up and create conversations around uh, sort of issues that perhaps felt, for whatever reason, a bit unpalatable for, for others in the Conservative Party to do. So it got me thinking whether people like Lee Anderson, and we can add in actually over the course of the weekend, Sue Ella Braverman's piece in The Telegraph about, well, I, I guess to paraphrase in her words, the kind of the, the threat of, of Islam in many ways in this country, whether these people, uh, Lee Anderson and Suella Braverman, are in fact speaking for a, a, 
a number of the population and therefore trying to change the Conservative Party to meet that public demand, or whether they are just kind of out on a limb. What's going on here uh, in terms of who these people are, who they represent as well? Well, look, clearly they are speaking for a section of society. Whether they should give voice to that section of society is a is a separate matter, but they are indeed speaking for it. And one of the pressures that Rishi Sunak is facing is that obviously a lot of Conservative MPs and a lot of Conservative members will have said, you know, how dare you take the whip away from Lee Anderson, he's only saying it as it is, etc., etc., one of the reasons that Sunak appointed Suella Braverman in the first place and was so keen to have Lee Anderson as vice chairman and has clearly kept the door open to him returning to the fold after the whip was removed is because he's got to you know, appease this ever-powerful, ever-growing populist rump of the party, or he feels that he's got to appease it, and the red wall votes that, not exclusively, but are predominantly red wall votes that, that come with it. Now, you know, we've spoken about this a number of times before. In an attempt to head off this kind of insurgent populist right, the Conservative Party is, to all intents and purposes, becoming a populist right-wing party with all the social division issues that that ensues. And I mean, I agree with Claire, you know, Keir Starmer showed leadership and moral clarity and, frankly, cojones in purging the Labour Party of the extremism that had taken hold under Jeremy Corbyn. Uh, is there still work for him to do within the party? Yes, there is. But no one should take away from him the real kind of political capital he was prepared to expend on on cleaning up the Labour Party. Why did that happen? Because under Jeremy Corbyn in 2019, Labour crashed to its worst electoral defeat since 1935. Why did that happen? Because it ended up being out of touch with the silent majority of the rest of the country. And I fear the Conservatives are heading in the, in the same direction. I think it will take a terrible election defeat. I think actually after that they will probably double down. Uh, there's every likelihood that they'll have to learn twice the electoral lessons that despite the media, despite the divisions within our country, despite this being exacerbated by the Israel-Gaza conflict, the vast majority of us can hold to conflicting views in our head at the same time. The vast majority of us want to concentrate on, you know, bread and butter issues. The vast majority of us think, you know, there is more that the unites us and would prefer that we concentrated on creating a cohesive and united society than inflaming tensions at a time when things are already, you know, you only need to look at the streets of London uh, at the weekend. Uh, the tensions are already highly inflamed. And regardless of, I mean, we can have a debate till the cows come home about, you know, uh, you know, the definition of Islamophobia versus anti-Muslim hatred. But if nothing else, you know, the whip should have been removed because of that, just to inflame poor petrol on a society that is already, you know, only requires a, a match to a lit flame, I thought was just extraordinary. And there should be, frankly, no way back for him. And if he wants to tootle off to reform, and hold secret Alan Partridge-style meetings off a motorway uh, in, a, in a budget hotel, then kind of good luck to him. Goodbye and good luck. 
<laughs> well, goodbye anyway. <laughs> well, yeah, indeed. I was going to say, um, Claire, this it, it, I think I think it's fair to say this this sort of really did ramp up during the chaos of last Wednesday evening at the in the House of Commons, where the vote over the ceasefire that the SNP brought as an op- opposition day motion uh, really descended into chaos and farce in many ways, and the speaker was at the centre of all of that. And here we are a week on, and I was reading Chris. Mason, um, who we love on this podcast, who is political editor of BBC News, of course. And he was saying that, you know, Prime Minister's question is the centrepiece of the week. But today, all eyes are going to be on the Speaker of the House of Commons, Sir Lindsay Hoyle, because here we are a week on. Does he still command authority? Does he still have the confidence of the members of the House of Commons? Because it's nearly 90 of them have signed this motion of no confidence in him now. Um, am I right to sort of trace this back to last Wednesday as a kind of, you know, inflection point for these tensions? And yeah, what do you make of, of Sir Lindsay Hoyle's position in all of this? I think it's pretty serious. I think what happened last Wednesday is significant. And I think it is easy to say, you know, this is not something the voters care about. And I think parliamentarians across the board were rightly embarrassed about the way that parliament conducted itself last Wednesday. And I think there were partisan politics at play all over the house. I don't think there was partisan politics at play hugely around the speak in terms of the speaker's actions, but I do think he was, he was, he was wrong and, and he has, uh, conceded that he was I think it was probably motivated from the best of intentions now ordinarily you would think a mistake that is that is rectified we should be able to move on and I thought it was quite interesting how many conservative parliamentarians said look actually Lindsay Hoyle has been a very even-handed balanced and fair speaker this is a mistake but I think it's going to be quite difficult with that number of members um, continuing to not have confidence in him. So I think we should see what happens next. And I think it might be difficult for him. I don't buy that he's uh, necessarily safe in his position, even though I would like him to be, because I think he has been a good speaker um, with with one day accepted. Yeah, I mean, I agree. I think his position is by no means uh, safe right now. I think. Look, a lot of that depends on on what MPs choose to do now. If they choose to continue to disrupt, uh, I think his position will become untenable. I've known Lindsay Hall for a very long time. He is a very decent, good man, and I think uh, he made a very bad mistake for all the right reasons. I mean, obviously, I worked for Theresa May during those glorious Brexit years and Speaker John Burko tore up the rule book, manipulated the parliamentary process to obstruct the will of the people and prevent Brexit from going through. I mean, he wasn't, by any means, he wasn't the only person that did that, but he was a bad faith speaker, no doubt about it. You know, Lindsay Hoyle isn't a bad faith speaker. He is a very good man who's trying to do the right thing. And I take a slight kind of wry amusement at all these politicians affecting moral outrage at Lindsay Hoyle's decision on the basis of the fact that they weren't allowed to play clever dick politics with such a serious issue in the way that they had planned. So, uh, you know, pardon me if I, you know, don't really much care for the for the moral outrage of SNP who were simply trying to... No, not, that's not entirely fair. They are obviously uh, 
setting out a moral position. But let's be honest, the primary purpose of that was to flush out Labour and to make things really difficult for Keir Starmer because there was likely to be a significant rebellion. So, uh, you know, but, but for that very reason alone, and because they got thwarted in that for whatever reason, and like I say, I think it was a, a bad call uh, made for the right reasons, um, which was parliamentary safety or parliamentarian safety, uh, I think they will continue to obstruct, thwart and make things very difficult for Lindsay Hall. One likely possible way out of it would be that he would announce that he was stepping down at the next general election. I think that would give him the breathing space and the dignity of departure that he deserves. I would hate to see him uh, being forced out at this stage because I do think he's a, a good and decent man and has been you know, a good speaker in some pretty turbulent times. Claire, would you say the Labour Party emerged from last week's vote relatively unscathed? Because as Kirsty said, I mean, this could have been a real flashpoint. Once again, we saw the previous ceasefire vote in uh, November result in sort of many resignations and um, and sort of concerns for the Labour Party. This time, it, you know, it seemed to pass off. The drama was elsewhere, I suppose I could put it like that. I don't think they are unscathed. I think that and then and this is going to continue all the way through this conflict it's such a divisive and difficult and challenging situation as as Kirsty said lots of people ourselves maybe included you can hold that conflict in your head about wanting a resolution wanting a ceasefire but there is not a clear path to do that in a way that also uh, protects Israel's safety so I think that there, that this will come up again and again. We might see that flashpoint once again in the Rochdale by-election um, if Galloway, uh, particularly if Galloway, but not only if Galloway uh, re-enters Parliament. So I think Labour are fully aware that this is an issue which is going to continue for them as a party political issue. What I would like to see is I would like to see there to be, there is actually quite a lot of consensus over the parties, over the Israel-Gaza conflict. I would like to see us speak more with one voice because what we do in our parliament is not relevant hugely to the rest of the world, but it is important that we have a strong UK voice on international affairs, not not least on Ukraine, which is obviously as past the second anniversary of the Russian invasion. I think we need to, I think our politicians need to take a deep breath, stop the parliamentary games, put to one side the issue of the speaker for now uh, and get on with um, speaking with one voice when it comes to these incredibly uh, dangerous and difficult uh, conflicts. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... 
Alright, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply. If rated PG. Oh, hello. Well, you thought you'd got rid of me, didn't you? Well, here I am in the break as well. You are welcome. Here at Whitehall Sources, we are always enthusiastic about rigorous journalism. So we have been tapping up our very special sources to find out more about The Resident, which says it has excellent rooms in exceptional locations, providing heartfelt hospitality. I'm pleased to say their story checks out, actually. Here's one of our sources, Bossman56, who says, Just spent three days at the resident Covent Garden. Room was excellent, so were the staff. The room and the hotel, clean and tidy. Staff were friendly and very efficient. We'll be going back soon. And in the interest of double sourcing, it's just what we have to do as rigorous journalists. How about this from Gufton, which I assume must be a codename. The best hotel I've stayed at in London. The customer service was unsurpassed from the moment I walked in the door. It actually all makes us very proud to be supported by The Resident on Whitehall Sources. And you can join The Resident online. Go to residenthotels.com. And if you all do that, they'll actually just be very pleased with us. So go to residenthotels.com. Thank you. Shall we mention a bit more about uh, the Rochdale by-election, which at time of recording will take place tomorrow. And in the show notes in the description of this episode, you will see a link to the Rochdale Borough Council website where you can see a full list of candidates who are standing in that by-election as well. Kirsty, Claire mentions George Galloway. With all that's been going on in the last couple of weeks uh, around the Labour Party and the sort of withdrawal of support uh, for uh, Azar Ali, uh, who will still sort of have Labour Party on the ballot, uh, um, uh, paper, uh, but will not have the support of the Labour Party. Uh, there is a real chance that George Galloway could win this this by election. Yeah, there is a real chance, and you know it, it would be an extremely uh, unfortunate result because George Galloway is a highly divisive figure who will be hell bent on again, you know, pouring petrol on a already highly inflamed and difficult situation. So. Uh, I mean, look, I slightly cling to the hope that it might not necessarily happen. Um, uh, The postal votes went out, I think, two days after this issue with the Labour candidate first blew up. Now, a lot of people get their postal votes, they fill them in and they send them off immediately, right, in case they they forget. So I wonder whether there is a squeak of a victory for Ali in any event. I haven't quite kind of bagged that as a as a definite for, for Galloway. But if he does come back, it's just a very kind of telling symbol of where we are as society right now, how much difficulty we are in. And it feels like one of those kind of enough is enough moments. The trouble is, you know, the kind of centrist moderates of British society, the silent majority, 
uh, you know, are predisposed to sort of sit there and say this and not, you know, and, you know, not take kind of mass action to stop it. But I just, I think Claire's right. I think we all need to take a deep breath right now. I think, the, you know, the media needs to take a, a deep breath about how it covers some of these issues and some of the platforms it's giving to a disproportionate amount of platform and airtime to some really divisive figures. Uh, and I think now is an opportunity for Sunak and for Starmer to, you know, unite and show some leadership uh, and some balls and say, you know, up with this, we, you know, we will not put, you know, if you continue to divide, you'll be out and really kind of set to make some examples of it. There are, you know, the standards in public life, where have they gone? <laughs> I mean, depending on the size of a Labour majority, again, you know, Starmer can draw a line if he becomes the Prime Minister the next election. He can. There's an opportunity here to really draw a line and to say this is it. There are standards in public life for a reason. And at the moment, what we've got in Parliament and what we've got in our streets are kind of mirror image of itself. And, you know, frankly, I think most of us expect better of our Parliament than what we've been witnessing in some quarters of late. I also think all of this, I, I have a ray of hope that I think all of this can get to a better place. But I would also add what's happening in our classrooms and for our young people and children as well. We've heard stories this week of the sorts of behaviour some of the teachers are up against. And these are young people, these are children who are post-pandemic not getting the support that they need. And I feel we are at a turning point now. I think um, I would like to believe Sunak can rise to it. I think what we've seen is that that is unlikely to happen. But I do think that that more sensible, silent, centrist majority who doesn't really want to appeal to the extremes. And actually, I think the Tories made a miscalculation when they tried to see that the Red Wall was all like the Lee Andersons, always like all these people who, who attracted quite extreme views. It is so not what the working class people of this country are like. They are on the whole, it is a moderate mainstream who want change in their lives, but and they're probably a bit more socially conservative than some of the kind of more urban um, uh, voters. But on the whole, they are not attracted by this kind of divisive uh, extremism. And I think if we got the political leadership we deserve, then we would see a much more kind of centrist um, calibre of the likes of, of, of Starmer. And I know that he doesn't give the media the spice that they want. But you know what, I'm ready to give uh, up on the spice, have somebody who gives us that kind of moral clarity uh, and start to get the country back into shape. I should just mention by way of by-election admin uh, that George Galloway is running for the Workers' Party of Britain. And you can see, as I say, the full list of candidates via the link to the Rochdale Council website in the description of this episode. By the way, there was a great article on Sky News published this morning where the intro to their Rochdale by-election sort of preview for tomorrow says, Labour has ditched its candidate. The Green candidate is still on the ballot paper, but not campaigning after what he described as regrettable social media posts. The Conservative candidate was on holiday until a week before the by-election and now there are in total 11 candidates in the race, many running as independents. I think that speaks to, well, I wonder how well served the people of Rochdale feel right now in the run-up to this by-election, given that uh, particular list of uh, candidates and difficulties that there have been over the last few weeks. Uh, right, that's all that's happening this week. Let's, well, I mean, that's all that we know about that's happening this week, I should say. There's still a few days to go. But we wanted to just spend a few minutes at the end of this episode just looking ahead to the budget, which comes next week. Uh, and <laughs> this from the FT, Jeremy Hunt, the Chancellor, is struggling to escape a fiscal headlock 
imposed by his official forecasters. He's trying to find space for tax cuts and lift pre-budget gloom among Conservative MPs. But Kirsty, the tone of this article suggests he's going to have a bit of a nightmare to find, quote, budget goodies. <laughs> I t- I, the headlock's a new one. I know fiscal... Yeah, head- headlock's a great does one. fiscal headroom become fiscal headlock, you know? <laughs> I think yeah. when, we, when we move in the space of a month from thirty billion pounds of headroom to only thirteen billion, this is all nonsense, right? This is all uh, you know, magic money tree kind of uh, calculation. There's been quite a lot of interesting polling about where people would prefer any headroom, false or otherwise, to be spent, and at the moment. uh, certainly in terms of what people tell pollsters, they would rather it was spent on shoring up our public services than throwing some tax concessions to the working man and woman. I mean, it's an interesting one. Clearly, they're briefing out that they are inclined to look at uh, national insurance cuts again because obviously it's very targeted at working people. You know, we've already banked uh, uh, one national insurance cut and no matter how many times I hear Rishi Sunak say, we're already £480 better off because of it. Uh, Wow, does anybody think, thank God I've got an extra £480 in my pocket. You know, it's such a, you know, it's weird, isn't it? The budget is almost a kind of, you know, distraction or an incidental to the the much greater problems that we face at the moment. That, you know, frankly, I just want to say to Jeremy, you know, you could you could give everyone a 10p tax cut. Uh, that, you know, it doesn't matter at the moment. I think people what are more worried about is is much more profound uh, and uh, huge than whether they get a few hundred extra quid uh, in their pockets. Would it be a game changer? Absolutely not, you know. So, again, I think I would rather have a chancellor that behaved like a conservative chancellor and was fiscally responsible than try to bum a few billion to appease his party and, uh, in theory, try and, you know, shift the dial. Do I think it will shift the dial? No, I don't. Interesting. Claire, what do you think? Can a budget at this point shift the electoral dial? It is a big opportunity for them. They're... There is the prospect of being able to make some kind of movement. Look, they haven't got very much room to move politically. Um, they this is a key moment, I think, for them. It's what they've planned in the run up to an election. Whatever they are being briefed on internally, they have in their minds written electorally six months or more ago what they want to do at this budget, which is to give away tax cuts that frankly I don't think any of the officials will say are a good idea at this point. And as Kirsty says, where the public want, if, they, if there is any headroom, they want it to shore up public services. Sure, they want to bring taxes down at some point, but they get that now's not the right point to do it. So I think we will, we could almost write our bingo card of uh, the things that Hunt will say in his address, which I'm sure will be about having taken the tough choices, having made fiscally responsible choices, we've now got the ability to pass on some money to the electorate. But I, I agree with Kirsty. I think people will bank the tax cut and I think they've already made up their minds about the Tories. This is what happens, Callum, when you have two centrists on. We're just a out, outbreak of consensus. <laughs> very sensible. Uh, throughout the programme. I mean, you know. It's terrifying. Uh, <laughs> Let's circulate this among MPs, I think, for some sort of, you know, civil conversation. Um, By the way, whatever happened to expectation management around the budget? I feel like we've been talking about what's on the way for for months, 
and you know everyone's kind of standing by thinking we know what's going to happen Claire isn't expectation management a crucial part of things like this he did try so Hunt did try so he did he did one interview a few weeks ago where he said oh I'm not sure I'm going to have much room to do this you know the bit that you do before Christmas and you say well I'm not sure you've been good enough here they completely ignore you Hunt did that to us a few weeks ago and tried to lower expectations but his 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 they're not in control of their party their backbenchers are, are constantly calling for tax cuts it's what the the press are gunning for so uh, look Hunt and Sunak know economically the economy is not in a good good a strong enough position to do this yet but they are going to to do it anyway because we have an election. Yeah. This is expectation management, but it's through the looking glass expectation. <laughs> He's trying to make this seem more exciting than it actually really can be. <laughs> Rather than trying to manage down our expectations, he's trying to manage them up. This is a first, I think, for a budget. <laughs> OK, uh, good. Well, we'll be back next week to consider what is in the budget. Was it a headlock? Was there headroom? Are there any budget goodies? Will you notice any of the goodies that are handed out? Who knows? Uh, we'll talk about that and lots more next week on Whitehall Sources. Uh, Claire, thank you for joining us. Uh, and Kirsty, thank you so much for being here. Uh, great to have some sensible conversation in the midst of what has been a really chaotic week. Uh, please follow and subscribe uh, to the podcast as well. We'd love to have you back every single week as we bring you inside politics to discuss what exactly is going on insofar as we can make sense of it as well. Uh, thanks very much for being here. We'll talk to you next week.